This is Play It Forward, a podcast where we tell sport differently. I'm Tull. And I'm Laura. And you can follow us on Twitter or on Instagram or check out our website. It's playitforwardpodcast.com.au. Today, we talked to Kate Jackowitz, one of Australia's leading referees, and we talked to her about, well, what it takes to be a ref. It doesn't seem easy from where I'm sitting. Yeah, no one ever talks to referees, not unless they're unhappy with a decision that they've made. Well, we should. It's about time we did, because Kate's interview is an absolute goldmine. We asked Kate whether the Matildas were robbed in Rio. We talk about the faking culture in football, and we talk about making mistakes. Yeah, and we also ask her about some of the rules of the game that, for me anyway, just really don't make any sense. And we ask her about whistles. They're important. (laughs) You're obsessed by the strangest of things, Laura Douglas. (laughs) We began the interview by asking Kate, how did you get started? Back when I was 12 years old and my brother was playing, I think it was Ruball back then, and then no referee turned up and I put my hand up. I told my mum that I wanted to do it and they found a little pee whistle for me. Ran around, loved the game, loved the power. Then mum took me along to my first level four course. So then I started just refereeing on a Saturday morning at my junior club um, just for pocket money and it just went from there. I wouldn't say that I was a very outgoing child. I just loved football. It's something that I you found confidence in it because you understood it or you knew it. So I think the more I put myself out there, the more my confidence grew. That was Kate telling us about how she started out as a referee. She actually told us that she was coaching and playing at the same time. That's a very full Saturday. She was really busy. (laughs) What Kate said about confidence was really interesting to me. It just can't be easy officiating while everybody has an opinion about what you're doing. Laura, you asked her some, some really interesting questions about confidence and also about managing different personalities on the field. They were a bit nerdy, but they were very interesting. Let's listen. You know, it's been said that when you're on the field, every time you blow your whistle, you upset half the players and roughly half the crowd. So you've got to be confident in yourself. How do, how do you manage that? I would have to say, this is a bit of advice that I give to younger referees, fake it till you make it. A decision that you make with the appearance of confidence is going to come off a lot better than a decision that you make with doubt. Doubt will come through in your facial expressions. Doubt will come through in your body language. Doubt will come through in your whistle tone. If you erase that doubt, People are just going to turn around and be like, oh, she knows what she's talking about. Okay, that's fine. So do you have a, are you a different person on the pitch than off the pitch? Do you have this persona, this alter ego, this like hard-ass Kate on the pitch? I Who really do. Um, I, I go through a, a, a mixture of personalities on the field, I must admit. Depends what I, what I get given on the field. If I encounter a very cocky player or someone who thinks they're too cool for school, I'll give them a bit more, I'll be a bit harder on them, um, you know, I'll give them that cockiness back or try to bring them down a peg or two. But if I encounter a player who is, you know, fair and and wanting to just play the game in a fair manner, I'll give them a bit more leeway. I'll, you know, speak to them a bit more politely or I'll just be a little bit, just softer on them, I guess, um, and you get the arrogance and then I don't just, I don't deal with arrogance. I just shut them down. I shut down arrogance. Do you do the same in your home life? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Um, I'm more of a clown off the field. And sometimes I bring that clownness. Yeah, just I, I joke around a bit. I'd much rather have a laugh than be strict or c- controlling, even though it is kind of controlling. I, I like to reference it as positively influencing behaviour. And if I have to do that in many different aspects, different personalities, that's how I do it. 
That was Kate talking about how she positively influences behaviour both on and off the field. I was really interested to learn a bit more about how Kate controls the game on the field, particularly when it comes to using the whistle. So I asked Kate, what do the different whistle sounds mean? Little foul, little whistle, and big foul, big whistle. Wow. Laura, your question was profound. Seriously, what were you expecting? Little foul, little whistle, big foul, big whistle. No, 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 bear with me. There's more to this. Let's listen to Kate about the type of whistle she uses. We don't use pee whistles. They, they are outlawed in referee world. Only if you're an NRL and you hear that, that's NRL. Um, I'll tell you a story, actually. I was at my first state titles and um, one of my biggest mentors, Alan Kibler, he got us all in, in a meeting right before the, the tournament started and he said, right, if I hear a Fox 40 Pearl whistle, I'm going to ram it down your throats. And I was just like, <gasps> and I went and looked at my whistle and it was a Fox 40 Pearl. I called up mum straight away. You've got to come here and buy me a Fox 40 Classic. I didn't know these words. <laughs> I didn't even Christ. know about P whistle. I'm learning so much right now. <laughs> so mum turned up 7.30 a.m. with my little Fox 40 Classic and I still actually own that Fox 40 Pearl. That was Kate demonstrating the sound of a P whistle. Now you're not going to hear that on any other podcast. Laura, we're going to move on. Fox 40 Classics, Pearls, P whistles aside, let's get to the heart of the story. I asked Kate about her career. I want to talk a little bit about your credentials. You've been a FIFA-listed referee since 2011. You've refereed in the W League since its inception nine years ago, so it's your 10th year this year. You've refereed in the Under-17 Youth World Cup in Jordan. There have no doubt been some incredibly big moments in all of that. Can you talk us through some of them? The most influential aspect of my career would have to be the W League. The progression from 2008 to now has has been immense, not only for the players, but for the officials. And just being able to measure my own development along with the league is, is something special. And then obviously where I start the new season, I want to finish much better uh, ahead of my goals. Just on that, what are those goals? Well, how do you measure yourself as a, as a developing referee? How do you get better in the season? Get better at what exactly? For me, um, my biggest weakness has always been my fitness and speed and withstanding the the summer heat that we played in and some ridiculous times as well having to wear all black for one thing like how am I going to you know sort of manage manage myself throughout the whole season with the, the amount of games and the travel that we do so I think for me it would be just improving improving my fitness what sort of things do you need to do to be at your best as a referee tell us about the training regime we would have to do four running sessions a week um, and then you've got three gym sessions working on more injury prevention and strength but essentially the requirements now are that of equal to players because you know we have to run just as fast as they do to keep up with their game. Where are we at in terms of refereeing for women becoming a full-time professional discipline? Um, I would have to say probably not before the next 2019 Women's World Cup. In my opinion, I think FFA think that refereeing a Women's World Cup shows that you can referee in the in the men's league, especially the A-League. We won't have a female full-time referee unless we're refereeing in the men's professional league. A full-time referee within the W League only. I don't think that will happen just due to funds. So if it's not a full-time pursuit, and yet you've outlined to us the, the kind of training demands that are on you to be able to referee at this level. Mm. How do you make that work? Choosing a career that enables you to have flexibility. I commit 
and dedicate so much of my life to, to refereeing. I want to make the most of every opportunity that I can while I'm doing it. Let's talk about some of the big moments around the world. And one of them that I really wanted to ask you about, Rio 2016. Australia, we lost to Brazil in that horrific penalty shootout came down right to the wire and mm. people criticised that referee mm. over and over because um, the goalkeeper looked like she may have come off the line. Tell me, what's your view of the whole thing? Were Australia robbed? I have a very strong opinion on, on, on this situation and it's not too kind on the Australian football team, I must admit. Any women's football fan out there that actually wants to go relive it and, and to see it, go and pause it right before our two penalty kickers take the penalty. So it's actually from the moment they kick the ball. If that goalkeeper is one step or less off the line, this is acceptable. I've done done it on all of them, and it's legal. Wow. Mm. So Australia wasn't robbed. No. Not in your opinion. Not, in, not in my opinion, not in FIFA's opinion. That sounds like a pretty hard rule to enforce or to police as a referee. Yeah. Yeah. Are there other rules that you find are difficult? Oh, absolutely. What, what are they? Oh, absolutely. Um, the handball law is so subjective. I've got a bit of a pet hate rule. Oh. The throw in. Oh, yes. I don't like I'm, that rule. I'm with you on that. It's a very silly yeah. rule. It's to get the ball back into the field of play. I really don't care how it comes in, <laughs> as long as it's in the field so we can start playing football rather than debating whether it was thrown correctly or not. I don't care. While we're on the subject of rules, I've got to say, I looked at the laws of the game this morning, and I should have done this far earlier in the course of my career. 144 pages long, a ridiculous amount of detail. But there's one rule that I've never understood, which I really think is the vaguest of all of the rules in the book. How do you determine how much time is left at the end of the game? Everyone's just sort of guessing, wondering when the referee will blow their whistle. Yeah. And it can have absolute game-changing consequences. Yeah. How does this make sense? Um, it's written in the in Law 5 that we're the sole timekeeper of the match and I think that's a, that's a tradition that has been held for however long the laws of the game have been around. What if your clock stops? Oh no, has that happened? Oh yeah. Your clock? Yeah, my, my, my watch has died. Um, that's why we wear two, but sometimes I run over to my assistant referee or my fourth official and can I have yours? And so they, that's what those people are for? Yeah, they, they all have two watches too. So essentially we've got, if we have a full four-man team out on the field, we have eight watches going all at the same time. <laughs> but do you get caught up with the game and so you don't actually see that the four minutes of extra time has Surpass the four minutes of extra time. Uh, well, this is where technology comes in and our watch starts beeping at us. Okay. Yeah, I, I set it to vibrate and it's vibrating away. But to answer your question, general rule of thumb, each substitute, around 30 seconds. A goal, another 30 seconds. Injuries, I will certainly look at my watch and see how much time has passed. I mean, it does add to the suspense, doesn't it? When you, you've got no idea <laughs> yeah. when the referee's going to blow the whistle. Yeah. Well, now we've got these little boards that show us. Well, it Sometimes. says four minutes, but it might go to six minutes. Yes, you might be adding on time willy-nilly through those four yeah. minutes. Let's go back to the rules of the game because one rule that I read was that a celebration of a goal must not be excessive. Mm -hmm. What the hell does that mean? <laughs> How excessive is too excessive? Well, obviously you're not allowed to remove your shirt. There's a respect thing. Yeah. Indecent exposure I might think, come into it. I think so. But hang on, before you answer that and you're talking about the shirt, they do that all the time. They're yes. constantly taking off shirts. Caution. Even just putting your a shirt over your head, yeah. that's still considered... Removing your shirt. Yeah, removing your shirt. You're allowed to lift it up, but you're not allowed to put it over your head. Right. Yeah. So the minute it goes over the head and you're doing that airplane yeah. thing, yeah, that's a caution. Up. Yes. Yeah. I want to talk about power. Yeah. 
I mean, you mentioned power card <laughs> at the beginning, and I'm fascinated particularly by the art of holding a red card above somebody's head. What does that feel like? Is that a powerful moment? I don't like to give out too many. My role in the match is player safety and to facilitate an entertaining match. Like These are my roles. And then someone does something that is worthy of a red card. For me, that is like out of the question. You do not belong in this field. You get off this field now and I raise it. That field for me is sacred and I will do anything in my power to protect that game and these players. Let's go from looking authoritative to looking a little bit silly. Let's go. We've got to be honest. <laughs> that sideways manoeuvre that lines people have to train to do. I understand right. it's called crabbing. Yeah. Is that true? Yeah. I mean, that must take some serious adaptive strength yeah. to be able to do that all day. Yeah. And you, the calluses you make on your feet and the blood blisters, oh, it's pretty bad. None of that for you lately. Oh, no, I can't go sideways. I am not built to go sideways. Um, <laughs> I chose refereeing very early. Um, it was not within my skill set to go sideways. That was Kate talking about some of the more unusual things that she has to cope with as a referee or that officials have to cope with. Blood blisters, doing crabbing, black uniforms. Black uniforms on hot summer days, on synthetic grass. I just never thought about what referees were facing in those sorts of conditions. Given how difficult it is to be a referee, I wanted to ask Kate, do the new advances in video technology make it any easier for referees? I think the purist in me likes football being untouched from technology. So to me, I don't like how that puts such a distance between professional football and grassroots. And that's what I've liked about football so much that you can kind of just, you can go anywhere, you can draw some lines in the sand and, you know, put some shoes out and you can still play the game. But going forward, I think it's important for um, professional footballers and because there's so much money at stake, which is unfortunate, but it's, it's our reality in, in, our, in our modern game. Um, but what I'd like to see is maybe this responsibility of players increasing. If we didn't have players trying to win at all costs, if we didn't have those players that are diving in back play or milking a slight contact to the face, trying to get their opposition sent off. If we didn't have these incidents, we wouldn't have such a need for the, the new technology. So I guess we can't help it, especially when some mistakes are costing tournaments. Let's talk about that faking culture that you just <laughs> referred to. I mean, that is the biggest gripe when it comes to the game of football isn't it yeah it's that idea of the hand of god being okay you know yeah. that maradona move that half the world celebrated and the other half criticized yeah. it's the idea that it's okay to get one past the referee mm. so it's almost the referee against everybody else out there on the field yeah. at times maybe they just they just don't recognize the impact that they're having on their game i don't know they, they just they just can't see outside themselves like what they're doing is there a difference do you, is there, are there things that are harder about refereeing a grassroots game as opposed to a higher level game or things that are easier um i actually had the referee in the kanga cup it's a youth tournament in canberra and it was an under 14 boys game and by gosh it was one of the hardest games i've had <laughs> because the ball rarely went out. It was just kicking and chasing and running. But I think the hardest part for me was the parents. They were just like, referee, what game are you watching? You know, and just calling out all the stops. Yeah, the hardest part doing grassroots is the lack of understanding of the game and what's actually good for the game. The ugly parent syndrome. I mean, you've just referred to it. It almost seems like people want to get their therapy in by yelling at a referee on a weekend. Yeah. It's an ugly part of the game and a really difficult one yeah. to manage. Do we need to go and take parents aside in some sort of 
program to try and teach them otherwise how do we fix this i would love them for them to come in and do referee courses and go referee one game all they have to do is one game i guess it's that that form of empathy that you don't have unless you've experienced it yeah just go stand in the middle of the pitch alone with one whistle and 22 players running around and then other people everyone else's opinions differing from yours but you've still got to make the next decision you can't just say oh no pass i don't want to make the next decision there's always another decision to be made after the last one that you've made. That was Kate talking about how hard it can be making quick decisions. Referees are human, they can get it wrong. So we asked her, what do you do when you're out there, you blow your whistle and you realise you've made the wrong decision? For me personally, what would strongly outweigh my personal crisis would be what's good for the game and the correct decision is what's good for the game in this instance. I would much rather yeah, admit my mistake and play the correct decision then stick to my original guns and just to save face. We've talked about refereeing being a team effort and you've got a number of people as part of your team and as I understand it, you wear an earpiece during the game and you're communicating to this team. How difficult is that to manage a game, to manage the crowd, annoying players and so mm. forth and also the voices in your head? Mm. It's definitely taken a lot of experience to, to get used to it because essentially it'd be you and then your assistant referee who's closest, so your active assistant referee, and if they're saying handball, handball, or pen, pen, or outside, outside. So these are all just little cue things that you kind of, you're expecting to hear now. Like you, you, you blow your whistle, and then all of a sudden I hear this outside, outside, so I'm like, all right, good, don't run to the penalty area. So those little cues, again, you expect to hear it when the ball's just about to go out of play, and you hear red, red blue blue or you know corner corner what's with the double word because <laughs> in case the first one cuts out oh, that just sounds totally insane i do not know <laughs> how you cope with that do you ever want to turn someone off um no but sometimes they've gone off accidentally and, and you haven't told them well that <laughs> they're like kate can you hear me and they get nothing so then i think there was one time where i could hear everybody but they couldn't hear me but no, I haven't turned off anyone purposely. I have told people to, please don't talk now. Just just don't talk. You need to stop. But it's also a good tool, uh, especially in the W League. We've got a lot of senior referees versus uh, up and coming. It, it's used as a, a teamwork, a support type thing. We encourage encourage each other. Or it's you know, 40 degrees and you've got that big long run that you have to do and I've got somebody in my ear, run, Kate, run, 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 run. <laughs> All right, I'm going. <laughs> You're not the one that has to run. Yeah. Very important for the support. What about when you're bored? It's a really bad game. Do you ever just have a yap with your other, you know, team members? Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately we do. I mean, I talk, <laughs> about, I, I talk about respect the game and, you know, you should um, do the best for every game no matter what league or standard. We do, we do have a bit of a running commentary at times, but... We, we know when a game rises in temperature and we've got to flick the switch and we turn on professional again. Let's talk about the future and your future aspirations and where to next for Kate Jackowitz in the world of refereeing. I am working my way towards 2019 in, in France. There'll probably be two seminars, I think. See if we're fit enough. Then the selection will come out potentially two, three months prior to the World Cup in June, July. So, yeah. Call me back in <laughs> 2019. <laughs> so I like to think that there's a little girl out there listening to this podcast who has never even thought that they might be a referee 
what, what three things do you think are really important for a young referee? Okay, mistakes are inevitable. You're going to make them. So you've got to go in there and think, all right, that may have been the right decision, but how could I have done that better? Watch all different types of football, men's, women's, young kids, immerse yourself in it. You need to gather as much information as you can. And third, have fun. Kate Jackowitz, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you today. Thank you for coming in and speaking to us. Thank you very much for having me. I'm really glad we talked to Kate. Her story as a referee is a really important one and I thought it was really interesting. Yeah, I was really pleased to hear from Kate. We never hear from referees. We never hear from referees, but Laura, why the time that we speak to a referee do you change up your traditional question of what you would ask somebody about their 12-year-old self? Why ask Kate the three things that she might tell a small person? What's with that? I thought she might have three things to say. So I thought I'd keep it fresh and ask the question just a little bit differently for the benefit of our audience and the benefit of you, keep you interested. Intimidated by a referee, maybe. Shh, maybe, maybe just (laughs) (laughs) You know, but what struck me about Kate's story that I want to dovetail into now is the fact that she mentioned her mother a few times. And as a mum, that kind of made me feel good. I'm hoping that my daughter might mention me sometime when she's as successful as Kate at something. Yeah, I think her mum was clearly an important influence in her life. I mean, she brought the Fox 40 Classic to her at 7.30 in the morning on a very important day. And she took her to her very first training course to be a referee, Mm -hmm. and she did it with her. Mm -hmm. That was nice. She's been there every step of the way. Yeah, and not just every step of the way, but, you know, involved in all aspects of the club. This is what Kate had to say about her mum at the junior club that Kate played at. My mum was... um the I think she was the registrar, the secretary, the treasurer, and also the canteen lady. So we just called her Mrs. Madriba Soccer. So we thought it would be a nice insight to ask Kate's mum, Hilda, Mrs. Madriba, what was Kate like as a young girl, and what did she think Kate got out of refereeing? Well, as I say, it grew her confidence and her ability to deal with people and to speak clearly and properly, and yeah, she was very articulate. Um, and I think that's helped her immensely because she manages her players. She's very good at talking to them and not being confronting to them. So she can yeah, manage, instead of letting it escalate up to a higher level where people get aggro and, you know, don't want to talk back, she can sort of calm them and keep them calm. And I think that's what's done it for her and it's helped her in her personal life and her job life. Look, I absolutely agree with you. I remember being refereed by Kate and I I always thought that she was very good at managing things before things escalated. So that was certainly my perception on the field as well. You're obviously very proud of what Kate has achieved. She's one of Australia's leading referees. Did you imagine she'd get this far? When she said she wanted to go to the World Cup and referee, I believed her because she had determination, and if she wanted it, and she did the right thing with her refereeing, she would make it. She's always been that type of person, and when she goes for it, she puts her 100% effort into it. So yes, I've always believed she would go as far as she could, and as far as she wanted to take herself. That's incredible. Is there anything, just as a final word, that you'd like to say to Kate at the end of our podcast? Only that just go for the sky, do what you believe in and stick up for yourself and just go for it. Oh, mums. They were beautiful words. Yeah. 
They're really, really quite touching. Thanks, Hilda. Thanks, Hilda. It's all we've got time for, unfortunately. Until next time. Yeah, we hope you enjoyed today's podcast. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram. Our handle is Play It Forward Pod, and we'd love to hear from you. This is Play It Forward, where we tell sport differently. See ya.